Amen. Please be seated and turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. You can also find the text for this morning on the handout within your bulletin, along with a very brief outline of today's passage. Today we will finish out the first week in creation by speaking on the seventh day. In this series on Genesis 1 through 11 titled Gospel Foundations, we're looking for insight into our lives by thinking through creation and the early years of mankind and by ultimately recognizing our God Himself. God is sovereign, and even from the beginning, He has blessed us with instruction on how to live a life that is pleasing unto Him. We believe He has given us guidance in this area. And we'll see um, in particular this morning from our text that this continues to be so even on this day, the seventh day. And we are not God, and so we need to be careful with thoughts like, what would Jesus do? I know it was popular at one time, but you're not the Christ, so sometimes you shouldn't do what Jesus would and did do. That being said, God's Word is provided for us that we might know Him and live out a godly life before Him. And so I think in some instances, it is appropriate to see what did God do and act accordingly. I also think it's important when God doesn't do something that we take note of that and act accordingly as well. And what will we learn today? We will learn about a very important word. It's going to be a difficult word for many of us, but it's one that we need to hear, and that word is rest. Now, I know for some of you, immediately saying that, that your mind goes, well, rest means to not work, and that is anxiety, and that brings a whole host of problems into my life uh, that I don't want to think about this morning. And I admit that with you, and I agree with you in that fully. That's a scary concept, isn't it? But what if I were to tell you that not only is rest beneficial, it is necessary? Any of you with young children know that it is necessary, But what if for all of us, for the people of God, the concept of rest is necessary for your life? Further, what if I were to tell you that this passage has a very particular type of rest in mind, a very special type of rest that God has blessed us with and designed us for to better glorify Him and know how to rightly live out our lives? Well, that is what we will be talking about this morning. And so before we go further, let's turn to God's word and hear from him about this rest that he so ordains and speaks of for us. I invite you to follow along with me as I open up God's word. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses. This is the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, But the word of the Lord will stand forever. 
He has promised it will not go into this earth void, much like the rain, but will accomplish everything he has set out for it to his glory and to our good. Let us go to him now and ask that he do that very thing for us. Dear Heavenly Father, just as the flowers of this earth need the rain in order to grow, the animals that walk upon it need that rain in order to live, we as mankind need it to continue life. So much more do we need your word. So much more are we dependent upon you than even the water itself that you have given to us for life and life abundantly. Father, this morning I pray as we dig into your word, as we unpack this idea of rest and what it means that you would be with us, that through your Holy Spirit you would take these words and you would implant them into our hearts. May we not just hear them, but may we believe them and receive them. And so what we're asking, Lord, is through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes today that we might see you and that through seeing you, we might be transformed. And as we go into the workplace, into our homes tomorrow, that we would be changed, a change that can only take place by being face to face with our God. So we ask that, O oh Lord, meet with us here and meet with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Each of the days within the first week of creation are special in that they add something to the created universe as we know it. And as we see, as we continue in this chapter, portions of the created story get almost two full chapters of commentary before we move on to the consequences of such, namely mankind. That's what we'll be focusing on for the remainder of chapter 2. If you remember the past two Sundays, we have said that God is a God of order and intentionality in what he does. Therefore, we need to take the same mindset in what he does not do. The dictionary gives us one definition of rest, that which we find in our text today, as ceasing from action or motion to refrain from labor or activity. Rest. Now, it's appropriate to wonder why a God who in eight utterances of the phrase, let there be, could create all that we know, all of existence, all of reality, all of the plants, all of the animals, all of the birds, all of the fish, everything, light, darkness, stars, the universe, and eight phrases would then rest. What a strange concept. Did he exhaust too much energy in creation? Well, the answer to that is a resounding no. But this should drive us to want to better understand why. Why such an action? Why here in the beginning? Why in the created order? Why in this account of the formation of the world do we have three verses dedicated to God not working? Well, through our passage this morning, we're going to see that God is doing two things and he's doing them for us. Again, he has mankind in mind, even on this seventh day. I want us to notice these things. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to see that God rests for our benefit, and us being mankind. And then in verse 3, and really looking at the passage as a whole, 
we're going to see that God rests to display His holiness. God reveals Himself to us in resting. God rests for our benefit and for our blessing. God does this for mankind, and yet at the same time, He is lifted up. And that is why our God rests on the seventh day. What a beautiful promise and a lot to unpack. So let's take a look back to verse 1 and see how God rests for our benefit. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. Now this phrase, all of the host of them, it tells us that all in the created order has been completed. Calvin, when commenting on this phrase, he says this, Instead of host, we might properly render the term abundance. For Moses declares this world in every sense was completed, as if the whole house were supplied with furniture and filled. The heavens without the sun and the moon and the stars would be emptied and dismantled. If the earth was de were destitute of animals, trees, and plants, then a barren waste would have the appearance of a poor and deserted house. God, therefore, did not cease from the work of creation of the world until he had completed it in every part and fully, so that nothing should be wanting. God does not take an action part of the way. He did not begin an action and not finish it. God saw it through to the end, creation. And this speaks to the nature of God, and this speaks to what He intends to do. The earth and the heavens are formed and populated exactly how He designed them to be. And then God declared them finished. So that there is no room to question God on the matter of design and intentionality. This will have enormous bearing on us as we think about salvation. God will not come back later. After Christ has completed his activity of life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then decide more needs to be done. He will not amend his agreement with you, the people of God. To say, yes, that was what I originally said, but here are some more things. No, much like Paul tells to the church in Galatia. Much like Paul tells to most of the churches he speaks with. If anyone proclaim a gospel to you contrary to the one that has been preached, let him be cursed. Again, I say to you, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one proclaimed to you, let him be cursed. God is a God who does what he says he's going to do. And once he says it, it is so. When God declares something is finished, and there's not a, an accident that what does Jesus say on the cross, John 19, 30? It is finished. Then it is so. You can have just as much confidence in this created world and the order in which it has been given as you can your own salvation. For both things, God has declared good and God has declared them done. And it's only after God declares these things done that he turns to his next task, and that task is rest. Verse 2 tells us this. On the seventh day, God finished that work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Now, we need to understand what's not being said here. God did not create mankind to do the work upon the earth so he could sit back and rest 
and not address any issue for the rest of time. Here you go, humanity. Good luck with that. That's not the type of rest we're talking about here. Nor are we to assume that God fully relinquished his authority or ownership over to man. Much like willing something to someone. Now, I've created this, I've worked this, I've designed this, here you go. It's all yours. God does share with man authority. We, we saw that at the end of chapter 1. He blesses mankind and gives him or them dominion and tells them to rule over the world. We'll see that more in chapter 2 as we zoom into the creation of mankind. But God never fully lets go. Now, this is a view or understanding of the creation of the world that happens in other religions. Um, I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again for you, the uh, Babylonian epic, the Enuma Elish, is wonderful fantasy. I encourage you to read it um, and to ponder it. But this is what took place when the gods finished the work of creation. They handed it off to man so they could go and do other things, things of their pleasure and their desires. They no longer had a need for creation. They were on to the very next task. But that's not the God we serve. The God of the Bible is active throughout history. We have a biblical account full of examples demonstrating to us that this is so. If God had no intention in interfering with the affairs of man, we would not see him as early as Genesis chapter 3 speaking to man and about man and about creation. We would not see him in four and following give the mark of protection over Cain even after he has sinned and is cast out from the people of God. God acts actively. God participates willingly from this point forward and had up to this point in creation. And so we need to be very careful that when we think of the word rest, we don't think of it as retirement or how many people think of the word retirement. That is not what God is doing here. I believe that we are to understand this rest in sense that he ceased from his creative work. He was finished. It has come to a close. We could say stopped. God stopped from his creative work. Why? Because it was done. Not because he was tired. Not because he didn't like what happened. Not because he had given up on it. But because it was finished. And again, when God does something, he does it well. Now... The point here is that it's for our benefit. And you may be asking yourself, well, give me a benefit. Give me, a, give me something good about this. Give me something to, to apply this to my life. To do that, we need to dig into the Hebrew. The Hebrew word here for Sabbath, Shabbat, will be later translated in the Bible as Sabbath. This is what is used specifically of the seventh day and this would become the name for the day of rest, an official holiday or official day for the people of Israel. And there's two places we see God explicitly take this verse, Genesis 2, 1 and 2, these verses I should say, and apply that to a day of rest. One of which you are most likely or hopefully familiar with. That is in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. If you are um, a family that practices catechism, um, at least it was for me, one of the harder ones to memorize because honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy is not exactly what it says, although that's what we teach. It actually says this. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God commands Israel to cease from their labor on the Sabbath day. They are not to work on that day that God has declared holy and set it apart. Further, they're to take this so seriously that no one within their space, within their land, including their animals, are to work Not only are you not to work, your animals are not to work, and if a sojourner, if a stranger or visitor comes in, neither are they to work on this day. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day. God rested so that we would know to rest. The second location that this Sabbath rest is really instituted for the people is from Exodus 31. So the remainder of Exodus really is a commentary on the Ten Commandments and then further into Leviticus, um, a further explanation of how to live out these Ten Commands. But if Exodus 20 was not heavy enough, here are these words. Exodus 31, starting in verse 13. Speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all else, keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. That you may know, I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me And the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. Now you're in luck. You're here. Okay, that was funnier in my head. But um, (laughs) there we go. Thank you for those of you joining us online. We'll count you in as well. This is intended, this command given specifically to the nation of Israel... To the penalty of death. You shall so seriously take my commands. You shall so seriously listen to my words. You shall so much listen to me. That to violate it in any way. In any regard. In any aspect. Shall be punishable of your life. Before I even get into the commentary. On whether this applies to us today or not. Oh that we would take God's word that seriously today. If you're to hear nothing else from this. Please hear 
how seriously God takes his word and then think about us in our own lives and in our own justification of his word and and ask yourself, do we take it that seriously? Are we willing to put this upon ourselves? May God do to me as he says in his word if I do not obey it. I think one of the greatest problems in Christianity today and in the broader church is that we don't is that we don't listen to God and we don't believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's why I say you're in luck because you're here. You are here upon this day. But both of these examples are given specifically to Israel in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, so in the, the series of Moses, the Pentateuch. And the question you want me to answer and the question I want to answer for you is, is this still binding upon us today? Are these commands still in effect? My answer to that is no and yes. Both. (laughs) The command to keep the Sabbath as a day of rest or face death upon violation of it was given explicitly to Israel. And in Christ, the Old Testament law, as it relates to the civil and to the ceremonial, aspects have been fulfilled. In Christ, the law has been fulfilled. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus lived for you and for me. And so in Christ, we are no longer bound by the civil and ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law. Just like we are now free to eat meat, that which is unclean, we are free To not be killed when we don't honor the Sabbath. Now, hold on. Don't don't linger on that sentence too long. Because that being said, I do still think it is beneficial and necessary for Christians to observe the Sabbath. Or what we will um, see in just a moment at the Lord's Day. Why? Because of what it just said in Exodus 31. The Sabbath was created, the intention of it, did you catch it? That you may know I, the Lord, sanctify you. The purpose of the Sabbath, the purpose of the day of rest, the purpose of the day of worship is that you may be sanctified. This would fall in line with Calvin's view of the Sabbath as well as the Puritan's. The Sabbath, the day of rest, was so you may be more like God. It's in this day, during this time, as we gather together, that you are being transformed, whether you recognize it or not, into his image. And week by week, moment by moment, Sabbath by Sabbath, you, that is happening for you in your lives. Until he comes again one day and then, then the world is an eternal Sabbath. An eternal day of rest. We know that the New Testament church changed it from the Sabbath or the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week in light of the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to speak more on that in a moment. But Paul makes a point in Romans 14 and in Colossians 2 that obeying or honoring the Sabbath as, as New Testament believers, as believers under the new covenant is a matter of heart. It's because of your heart that we need to worship. It's because of your heart that we need to gather. It's because of your heart we need this. Dear brothers and sisters, we can look to Jesus himself honoring the Sabbath 
Again and again it is spoken that on the Sabbath, during the Sabbath, at the time of the Sabbath. And then Jesus then does go on to further explain or uh, refine what um, the Sabbath means. Because ultimately the Sabbath is pointing to him. And this would be a point of contention between him and the Pharisees. You can't do that on the Sabbath. Well, yes I can, I made it. It's not what he says. No, Jesus does it a lot more eloquently and teaches during it. Wouldn't you pull your ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath if it was there? Well, then why do you complain that I heal this man? That I forgive their sin? That I declare them clean? What are those things? Those things are acts of sanctification. Acts of being made like him. He has every right to do that upon the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of fellowship, a day of worship, and a day observing the sacraments. And let's just be real here. We don't have any trouble thinking about the world six days out of the week, do we? I've I've never heard a sermon or or never heard anyone, please, please, please think about the matters of the world six days out of the week. We don't have to do it because that's natural to us, because that is is ingrained in us as well. That that is what we, we tend to do. But for us as believers, it is good to have a dedicated day out of the week to intentionally reflect upon the Lord. For the reality is we think about ourselves too much and God too little. This is why the Lord rested on the seventh day. He knew this to be true. He knew what your heart was going to be even now, even in creation, even when Christ was upon the cross. He was thinking about you and me and our hearts and our desires to want ourselves. And he said, they're going to need to rest. Because apart from that, they're going to run themselves into the ground. But there's a greater reason as to why God set this day apart than even teaching us to rest. There's actually a bigger picture at play here, even more so than you're going to need to be able to do it, so I've got to do it for you. And that is God displays his own holiness and character in a day of rest. And to this point, God has blessed only two parts of creation. He blessed the living creatures, calling them to be fruitful and multiply upon the earth, He also blessed mankind as special image bearers who would rule over the earth on his behalf. Further, mankind will be blessed in that it would be through man that God would send his son Jesus to live and die that redemption might be brought to man. But here in our text, we find one final blessing in that first created week. And the blessing is not upon living things, it's upon a day. God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So not only does God bless this day, he declares it holy. And holy, or holiness, simply means to have the quality or characteristics of God. It could be translated sacred, set apart, not profane, or godliness. And so what we conclude then is that God has declared this day, the Sabbath, as one in which his character is displayed. The Sabbath is for man, but the Sabbath is also to display the character of God. Now that brings up two important questions. First, if this day is so sacred and God said it and it is bound in creation itself, then why would we dare move it? And this is a very important question for us as believers. This is a question that many wrestle with even to this day. 
Why did we move it to the first day of the week if it's, the word literally means seventh um, and, and God's the one that did it? And then secondly, what is the character of God? If the Sabbath displays the character of God, then what are we looking for when we gather together to rest and to worship? What should we see in this day? Let's take both of these. The answer to the first question goes back to what we stated in the earlier section. The Sabbath, as a civil and ceremonial law, was bound to the nation of Israel. Therefore, it is fulfilled, it is completed in Christ and was specific to them, not the broader Christian community. The Gentiles were not practicing the Sabbath. But we do state that the moral truths, the moral implications, the aspects of God that are eternal do continue even in the law. That's why we read the law, by the way. That's why we study the law. That's why we can be in a book of Genesis and see its benefit, not just on the nation of Israel, but on you and me today. And we see that the early church made this move as early as the book of Acts, which was written somewhere between 60 and 64 A.D., They moved the day of Sabbath rest and worshipped on the first day of the week, which many now call the Lord's Day, in line with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, I admit, if there's going to be any reason to move the day of worship that God made and God declared holy and God set it apart, to further promote Him is a great reason to do it. It's probably the only reason to do it. Um, So we worship the Lord's Day the day that Christ was raised from the dead. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts. Acts 20 verse 7 is one of the earliest examples of this. So people that would have been alive during the resurrection. We see this in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2. Uh, we see this in Revelation uh, chapter 1 verse 10. So there are biblical examples. People who were alive during the time of the apostles. Worshipping on Sunday the first day of the week. And they weren't rebuked or corrected. In fact the apostles join in. So therefore, I think it is safe to conclude that we can worship the Lord on the Lord's day. If you would like more of a historical um, rationale, in um, Justin Gonzalez's uh, work titled A Brief History of Sunday from the New Testament to New Creation, he says this, Emperor Constantine made an edict in March of 321 that states, On the venerable day of the sun, Sunday, Let the magistrate and the people residing in the city rest and let all the workshops be closed. So as early as 321 AD, we actually have a government mandate that the Sabbath, um, now known as the Lord's Day, as we shifted it from Saturday to Sunday, I'll use those words interchangeably, um, forgive me for that, but is a day of rest. That work shall not happen. It shall not take place. You will not work And I do think it's important to consider this a day of rest and ceasing of work. The reality is we're only given so much energy in a given day. And God gives a similar pattern to the land. Six years you shall work it, the seventh shall be a Sabbath unto the land. Why? Because you will kill it if you don't. Now think about that. God says you will kill the ground that you're farming if you work it continually. 
How much more so is that the case for us? His creation, bearing his image, blessed in his likeness and after his name. You shall work six days and on the seventh you shall rest for your well-being. You were designed that way. You were created that way. That's how God implanted his, himself upon you. This is why Constantine, in his attempt to Christianize the world, mandates this as a day of rest. And, and many will not work on this day. Our Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 21, section 8, does give two clauses to that. And I encourage you to, to look at that. It says, lest it be works of necessity and works of mercy. I mean, and we could talk about another time that the implications of that and, and the, the way that works, but I am glad that I've got doctors I can go to on Sunday. I'm glad that our firemen are protecting us if my house was to catch fire right now. And there are things that are necessary upon the Lord's day, and, and we could get into that. There, there are some very dangerous ways you can take this and, and you can apply it to your life um, that I wouldn't think is helpful. But let's just focus on what the text um, is revealing to us. And that is, we are to rest, and rest is good. But the second question, you know, why did we move it? We, the church moved it in line with the resurrection. Is if this, the Sabbath or the Lord's day reveals God's character, then what is God's character in this day? What are we looking for? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we're looking for today. I hope and I pray that that's what you came to see and to think about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. This is a day of remembrance, a day of celebration. In a moment, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me until I come again. We will reflect upon him and his life, his death, his resurrection, and how by that we are alive just as much as you eat bread at home to sustain your body for life, so much do you partake of this meal and are reminded that spiritually you are alive because of and in Christ. We come to be fed by God's word. This is who our God is. Our God calls us to celebrate. 1 John 5.11 This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. I pray from now until when He calls me home that you hear that in some form every time I step into this pulpit. For if I don't, I have failed you. Because that's what you need today. You need more than anything to be convicted of your sin, to be reminded of the forgiveness you have in Christ, and then be empowered to live that truth out in your week and in your world. Because it's hard. It's hard. Six days you are to go out into the world. Six days you are to work. Six days you are to labor. You know how hard it is, brothers and sisters. You feel it each week. And many of you, myself included, come in it's like a, like, a gas, like a car that's been running on empty. You're on fumes, and you're just oh, so scared of tapping the brakes because you think you've got enough to get to the gas station. If you can just not, no one will pull in front of you, and the wind blows just right, and you lean forward as you're going. And that's how many of us arrive in the morning, don't we? And that's okay. And that's okay. The Sabbath is a day of rest, a day of renewal a day of refreshment, a day of encouragement, a day of being fed. We sing praises to God. We confess our sin before Him. We hear and respond to His Word, and we partake of the sacraments. Why? Because He said, by that you will live. 
The reason God gave you the Sabbath is so that you'll have life. And isn't that the character of God? What have we just read in the last chapter? That God is a creator. That he's a sustainer. That he does everything with intentionality and with purpose. That all of his design is done flawlessly to work together for your good. And so when he gives us a day and says, this is my day, declares the Lord, rest in it and worship me, then we should say, yes, Lord. Now, again, we could spend much time debating, um, and I would love to talk to you about it on, on what you should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. But let me just ask this. Don't you know your own heart? It does come sometimes that we have to miss a Sabbath day, that we have to miss a Lord's Day worship. How do you feel afterward? What's your own spirit like? Your demeanor, your attitude, your mood? What is your likelihood to have a good Monday if you've had to have missed the Lord's Day? And it happens. I'm not saying that, that we should, you know, make, write out our names and put check marks, you know, by every week of the year. Make sure um, that you're here. But you know. You know what it's like. And so the more we can partake, the more we can invest in this, the more we can be involved in this, the greater we will be blessed. And the better the rest of the week will be. The Christian church, the early Christian church, really did believe if you start worship at the beginning of the week, it will affect the rest of it. It really will. It's why, for many of us, we fill our tank with gas before we leave for a trip. So that when we get up in the morning, we can go. And we're not, do I have gas? Where's the closest gas station? How far out of the way is that going to be? See how that starts bringing up questions and worry and anxiety and fear. And then some of you are like risk takers and you're like, I won't fill up till I'm, you know, an hour and a half down the road and we'll find out when we get there. I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. But that's not how the Lord designed us, at least when it comes to worship, cars notwithstanding. The Lord designed us to begin the week with rest, with him. One of my favorite things I would tell students is if you dread Mondays, then you must not have had a good Sunday. And I'm, I believe that. And I can tell you in my own life, even as the one delivering God's word, if I'm not fully here, tomorrow will be an awful day. Every time. 100%. But if I listen to these words, if I practice that which I've given to you from the Lord, if I am engaged in the singing, if I'm engaged in the fellowship, if I'm engaged in the confession of sin, if I'm actively thinking about my offering, if I'm thinking about communion, and I leave this place thinking about the Lord, I've had some crappy Mondays, but they've been few and far between after a good Sunday. And every Sunday should be a good Sunday, brothers and sisters. I pray that this is not a guilt trip for you. Um, I, I preach this with great trepidation in the sense the last thing I want to do is impose something upon your life. But I really do pray and I really do ask the Lord that you see this not as an obligation, but as a blessing. For God gave it to you knowing you would need it. He set this day apart and declared it his and said, my holiness, my character will be revealed in it as you reflect upon Christ and your need of him. And by that and through that, you will have an abundant life. And you will be able to face the challenges of this world. With that in mind, dear brothers and sisters, one out of seven, God declares his. He sets it apart, he blesses it, he says it is holy. And on it you shall rest. 
I pray that you found rest this morning. Rest in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a weighty topic this morning. We know our own hearts. We know this pull from the world to work and to work and to work and to work and to provide. And we do believe that you call us to these things and we do believe that they are good so much as they only stay within their lane. Six days you shall work, but the seventh is a day of rest. Father, I pray that you would truly convict our hearts, that we might seek you one day out of seven, that we might seek you seven days out of seven, but particularly on this day. I thank you that you rested, not because you needed it, because you knew we would. I thank you that you have imbued your character upon this day. And as we partake in this service of worship, as we partake in time of reflection as a family, as we partake in thought and meditation upon you on this day, you promise to feed us and bless us and nourish us and equip us for all that is ahead. And, oh, Lord, this world is heavy. But until you return, until you come back, remind us of this rest and drive us to you, our Lord and our Savior. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.